for Australians, one of the main reasons for free speech is because it's fun. We like it. We like to have a little bit of a, a jest at someone's expense, particularly if they're in a you know position of authority. We we like to not have to walk on eggshells and just to say say bluntly what we feel, and particularly if it's a funny thing to 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 say. Part of part of adding that was because it is fun. It is what brings a lot of the the culture to life in Australia. The ability to speak frankly and to be able to also take a joke as well. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Ashro and with me is Ricky Allpark. Ricky, you haven't been cancelled yet. Not yet, but we're working on it. Why not, I say? Why not? Plenty of ways to get you on, I think, by now. Um, but here you, here you stand. Yes, yes. Well, well, you know, I might need some uh, extra help, some external help, maybe, to stop the cancellation. Yes, and who, who, who are you going to call, as they say? Who are you going to call? Free Speech Union Australia. It's here. It's finally down under. New Zealand got it first, unfortunately. Yes, but they didn't have second. to. Because Jonathan Ayling from New, from New Zealand was like, you know, sort of like we've got to come and save the Aussies again or something. Some some sort of snide comment. And you blew it, Ayling. You blew it. We got our own. All right. So we don't need you. All right. Dara McDonald's here to talk to us about the Free Speech Union Australia and why you should join and, you know, keep it in your back pocket, I say, because um, you never know. You never know. And, um, yeah, I'm certainly going to put some put a spicy question to her at the beginning. <laughs> you know, something that's been oh, I can't wait. burning. It's divisive. It's divisive. And I know, mm. I know some people aren't going to like it. It's well, gonna get you, you're going to quickly sign up? Free speech union, get your credit card yeah, just out quickly. quickly just, just quickly, quickly knock that off and then yep. say what and I got to say yep, and then say what you want. give her, you know, get her to save my bacon. She can keep those uh, people and their pitchforks away from you. At, at bay, yes. Well, we need your help here at The New Flesh. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about the show you liked or perhaps one that you didn't. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool, so please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now, on with the show. Return guest Dara McDonald is a lawyer and founder of All Minus One, a cultural organization for thinkers, creatives, and tastemakers that unapologetically defends freedom of speech and protects and promotes liberty as a core Australian value. She's published work in The Australian and The Spectator and also has a substack titled The Conservative Vagabond. Dara has been appointed the co-director of the Free Speech Union Australia, which we'll cover in depth. Dara, welcome back to The New Flesh. Good to be here again. So, Dara, we're keen to get uh, into your new role and talk about free speech, free speech union, but th- th- I have a test case for you. I need to know if the free speech union will defend my rights properly because although I'm a fairly moderate uh, person, uh, I do have one or two opinions that are both unpopular and disagreeable. Uh, so here goes. This is my personal opinion, okay? I happen to think that Mia Farrow is a liar, that Woody Allen is innocent, and that people who use the film Manhattan as evidence for his alleged proclivities are unserious. Okay? So will the FSU defend my monstrous views? Yeah, yeah. I think that's within our, our, our remit of uh, acceptable opinions. Actually, we're pretty, we, we take a pretty um, unbiased view in terms of we will defend pretty much anyone on any kind of, you know, having any kind of opinion. We're, we're very open in that respect that we don't, 
judge the content of people's speech except for you know those very clear cases of incitement the very you know the things that we have all decided and particularly the free you know the jurisprudence around um, the First Amendment in the US there's very clear exceptions in that respect and that's really for direct incitements of violence direct speech that can lead to action in the real because- because there are people are coming after me. Like my my wife had a a a, a book club the other day, and I wasn't. You know, I took the kid out. I wasn't here, but um, she reported back that one of her friends, so-called friends, pointed to the bookshelf and said, "Oh," and to, and there's a huge Woody Allen section up up the top. And she goes, "Oh, Woody Allen's still got pride of place. I see. Like I've got I got everything. All the big books are all laid out. Okay. And so so there you go. She is attempting to. Uh, shun me, cancel me uh, from polite society uh, for my bookshelf. Yeah, that's 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 devastating. Uh, you're you're not the first person to be bookshelf shamed. Remember in COVID, there was all those people that got bookshelf shamed, like um, uh, M- Michael Gove and uh, various other people that because they had you know they were doing their interviews from their home office and they had the bookshelves behind them. Yes, ah. all these like people getting lambasted on the internet for the books <laughs> that they have in their bookshelf. So what what was it? J- J- Jordan Peterson, maybe some some Harry Potter, even. Well, I think Michael Grove even had like Hitler's Minecart or something like that in it, the which is classic. like you know, very classic. Clearly, it was a very influential <laughs> work of 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 uh, of uh, There, you know, there's a good case for having it on your bookshelf, but no, that was. Well, well, we we interviewed someone. We won't name names here, but who actually has his own fake bookshelf that he puts behind him when he does online interviews. And it looks pretty legit, but he had to go, hold on a second, he had to fold this thing out <laughs> just before <laughs> he you know, interviewed you can, us. You like, get backgrounds and stuff that the computer does it for you. I mean... <laughs> you can. <laughs> that's old but, but, they're, but they're always... You can always tell that, that that's on, whereas this is like... He's, he is in front of a bookshelf of, of sorts. All right, well, it's good to yeah. know that the uh, on the on the on its face at the FSU. Before we get into the specifics, that was just a test, you know. It's uh, I put it thrown it out there a little bit because you know I stand by what I said too, you know. Like I think people should I should have be allowed to have this opinion, and that mm-hmm. people shouldn't have to you know they don't have to cancel me. I'm, right? John, I'm just surprised that people even still still care that that passionately about. His discretion, like it's not. I've never had like Gen, it, it, I know Gen Z's come, you know, saying, you know, do you think that um, I don't know, Broadway Danny Rose is an underrated Woody Allen film? No, you know, they're not. They don't care about this man, uh, but he's very uh, dear to me, and so mm. I have to go to toe to toe with these millennials. Uh, anyway, story for another time. On with the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're very excited to announce to our audience your new role with the Free Speech Union. Congratulations. Now, there might be a few new listeners on the line, so let's start with the big questions. What is the Free Speech Union? Well, the Free Speech Union was started in the UK originally by Toby Young, um, and it's basically it acts basically as a union that it comes in and defends people that um, suffer repercussions, particularly in their work, um, but also in other aspects of, of public life because of something they said. Um, usually these are very innocuous things that you, the, the tripwires at the moment seem to seem to be, you know, more this like misgendering pronoun, even within the first f- three weeks of operation, all the complaints we've had around this particular issue, more or less, um, except for maybe one, but 
yeah, that, this is these are the things that people tend to be targeted for in the workplace and then elsewhere in society um, at the moment. But there's always it's always subject to change. There's always different taboos around, and what is taboo to say now might you know change tomorrow. You know. Um, but the, the main thing about the Free Speech Union is that they are an organised collective which comes in and defends people that have suffered repercussions because of something they said. And then on, to, on top of that, that's one function, and then on top of that, the other is to advocate for free speech more broadly, to intervene in the, you know, the political process when laws are being passed that are deleterious to free speech, um, and also back laws that are good for free speech, although there's not that many of those these days, but occasionally then one, one might come along. Well, I mean, we've had uh, uh, Dara on before, and so I guess it's, we have to you know, ask, you know, what, why did you decide to get involved with, with this? Because this is no uh, small undertaking. No, no, I've, I've suddenly found myself quite busy, not just in this, everything, you know, as, as always when you become busier in one area, everyone, every area of your life becomes busier. Um, but the, the main reason is that I actually approached Toby Young um, some years ago, probably around 2022 I started asking him about this um, and then I got very busy um, and in that time more people uh, wanted to start this as well. So my co-director Ruben, he's an academic, um, he approached Toby separately and then a few other people as well. So we've all kind of took on, taken it on together rather than one person running the show, which it would have been if I was... I was to run it before, so it was nice to have all these different people involved, which have very different skills. Um, so that's that was the main push from my end. Is that it's not just me; it's now a whole group of people that can can take up a lot of the slack. Um, so it's really it's really nice. So the other aspect of this is that we're still very much in the starting starting phase. So we um, officially opened our membership, so you can join now. FreeSpeechUnion.au um, there's also a provider code for New Flesh podcast listeners so that you can get a bit of a discount as well. So you can put that in the show notes. Um, and, yeah, so we only just launched our membership in 2nd of October. Um, and, yeah, so we're all starting, getting just starting off the ground at the moment. And, um, yeah, just we're all volunteers at the moment. We're all trying to do our best that we can to pull it all together while we're, we're getting in the launch phase. So it's all it's a bit of a um, skeletal operation at the moment, but we're growing very steadily, which is which is nice. And have you had any ca- any uh, Australian cases so far? I mean, it's it's early days, but have you gone into bat for anyone yet? Um, nothing that I can talk publicly about at the moment, obviously, because they're all kind of under wraps. There's nothing that's gone so far that is in the public domain. But we have we have a few cases at the moment that um, we have intervened on uh, privately because they're to do with particular employment relationships, so they're not public at the moment. We have intervened in a, a public matter, um, which was uh, probably lots of people had read about it, although... On your po- if they listen to your podcast, they might have heard about the um, the ten year old girl with autism that got suspended from her school in Victoria, Manor Lakes, after querying why someone with boy parts were in the girls' toilet. So we actually re- sent a letter to the principal about that, saying that um, that was a, a seriously unjust infringement of her free speech rights, um, amongst other things. 
So we have intervened in a few of those public situations, but for the most part, the people that we're hoping, you know, we're helping our members that we're helping at the moment um, have very private, you know, matters that are happening in the background. So we can't really talk about them at the moment, but at some point when hopefully it won't progress to the point where it becomes like a public big bang matter, but if it does, then obviously I, we can talk about it then. Well, the, the the Taylor Lakes, oh, sorry, not Taylor Lakes, the Manor Lakes case um, is, is, is interesting. I, I actually hadn't heard about it until I read about it through uh, the, the Free Speech Union website. And it's interesting that it, it hasn't really got much mainstream attention here. I mean, yeah. I read it on a few sort of alternative news sites, but has anyone really picked it up? I mean, Sky News, I, I don't think I've seen it yeah, there. Yeah, really, it's really strange how you think it would be like the arch-sympathetic case that you could make for why all this, particularly the, you know, the self-ID situation is, is quite unreasonable and to expect people to use, um, to, be, to basically go along with the social groceries that we've all decided around this. Um, it's, yeah, it's really surprising that not, not more news sites that would be sympathetic to this cause have picked this up because it's like just such a complete, um, completely beautiful example of why these sorts of things are actually so cruel and unjust. Yes. Well, also what, what I think, you know, this case has a woke jitsu move uh, sort of inbuilt into it because the, the particular girl who got, I think, I think suspended for for misgendering someone has uh, is neuro neurodiverse yeah. neuro and has Kinds autism. So yeah. I know, I know. Bigot. Neurodiverse, <laughs> and that that's your work jitsu move. There, it's like they're discriminating now against uh, people with autism. Yeah, but I guess it's, you know, it's this like kind of identity politics pyramid. You know, the, yes. the oppression Olympics where everyone's on top. And at the moment, the uh, the gender diverse are on top and the neurodiverse are somewhere yes. down the bottom. So, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested, Dara, uh, about this guys. Obviously, you know, you, you can only tell us what you can tell us, but, um, uh, g generally, I mean, you know, have you received uh, any, any response at all, uh, from this, uh, the, 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 the letter that you, that you sent? Um, very little, actually, very little. Um, obviously we didn't re receive a response from the principal, <laughs> there, although maybe we should uh, we should pester a little bit on that front, but uh, yeah, not not so much at all. Which was actually, yeah, as I said, quite surprising because you'd think this would be a very sympathetic and obvious case. So yeah, so it's been surprising how little little traction it's, it's gotten really. Well, I'm just, I'm just interested. I talked about this with Jonathan Ailing, who runs the uh, the New Zealand uh, branch, and and I'm just fascinated by this moment that that people in the in normal jobs, corporate or, or, you know, government, whatever, whatever it is, they're just so locked into a certain, um, ecosystem that getting a letter from the free speech union, I just want to be there. I want to see it. I want to see it when it comes across their desk. Like they'd be like, cause they're used to, you know, dealing with ACON and, and just, you know, ticking the boxes, going through, jumping through a certain set of hoops. And then you've thrown this other hoop down and they're like, what a weird looking hoop. And they're like, what, what, this what doesn't are... fit with all the other things which we get told all this time. Yeah, they're like, I got to yeah. jump through this. What, 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 what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not following free speech. I don't get it. So I, I actually want to know just for my, just cause I'm interested in, in almost sociologically in, in what the, these people's response to the free speech union and their mission is like, do they look at it and go, 
oh, this is just, you know, because they wouldn't even, they wouldn't, uh, well, what do you think, Daryl? What do you think? Like if we, if we can just, you know, uh, hypoth- uh, you know, have a hypothetical. I think, well, just judging by the response so far, I think they just try and ignore it. That's, that's the main thing. And that's probably a lesson to us to get more loud there have been some, you know, in, in private matters that we have um, come to a very, uh, we've we've had a few successes in private, um, precisely because they couldn't ignore us. But for the most part, I think if there is an option to ignore you, then it's like, oh, you don't fit, so let's just let's just put you to the side a little bit. And even um, even at during the launch, I took Toby Young's advice. He was like, go go to a journalist and get interviewed and make sure that, you know, the friendly journalist that will play bad cop basically and get, you know, pepper you with questions so you have, the, you know, the, the you know, the uh, the ninth degree kind of situation. So you, if you do get call, a call from, the, you know, the ABC or something like that, you can answer it. Um, and the they were like, okay, well, we can do that, but you're not going to get it, like, they're just going to ignore you. That's what that's what they're going to do. They're not going to care that there's a free speech union and they've just launched. Um, it's just inconvenient for them. That's just not not something their readers want to hear about. So they'll just ignore you, basically. Well, maybe uh, yeah. I think maybe uh, one of the tactics could be it's a sh- it's 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 a shame that has to be this way. But we do you do have to employ a bit of shame. Yeah. Know? Since it needs to be. Uh, loudly adding people on X and stuff and saying, you know, um, case in point, you see this, um, you know, I'm not, I offer no, no editorial on this, but you see this is a tactic on some of the, um, uh, the anti-Semitic um, sort of expose uh, sites that are trying to, co- you know, unmask the, the people tearing down posters and whatnot. So they're, they're, they're certainly very loud, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. some of their, it moves. Yeah, that's definitely something we need to be a bit more loud. I, the reason why the um, New Zealand one has become so successful is because they they do proactively pursue rather than sort of you know wait wait for them to come to us. So we're de- we're definitely looking at you know where we can actually insert, insert ourselves proactively into the various fights that are you know coming coming and coming up at the moment um, so that we do really a bit more noisy, a bit more like you can't ignore us now. Um, so that's, I think that really is the tactic which we have to go for is just become someone that you can't actually ignore. It's, that's, yeah, that's what we need to do. Maybe you need just a really hard-looking guy like just, just holding a baseball bat to, to deliver <laughs> a letter to them at the door. <laughs> you need a stand-over yeah. guy like a debt collector. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, to change topics slightly, I actually posted uh, the piece that you wrote for The Spectator, uh, Fighting Them on the Speeches, Why the FSU is Needed in Australia. I posted this to the Australian Politics subreddit, which I've mentioned briefly on a couple of different podcasts. I've dipped my toe in the Reddit waters a little bit for this podcast, and I have to say it's it's the wokest cesspool of all the <laughs> social media platforms. But this this got a, a, just a really interesting response. Like people, and I and I and I have to read this out. So someone had said, 
If you're upset that being transphobic is causing you trouble at this time, I'm inclined to draw parallels with the decline in popularity of clear and unabashed racism. I don't see why your views should receive a pass simply because you're a libertarian or a bigot. So <laughs> they've taken this, for some reason they've taken the free speech union and just went, oh, this is something to protect gender critical people or something. Like they've just lumped it in with the trans debate and just open and shut case. It's just cover for bigotry. I, mm. I found that uh, Safe really haven for quite strange. Yeah. Well, as I said before, one of, the, one of the reasons they might draw that conclusion is because most examples of ludicrous things that people got punished for in the workplace, which I, I cited in that article, were mostly around this you know, self-ID situation that we, we have. But as I said before, this is just a, a product of the zeitgeist. There have been plenty of times where a completely different set of taboos were um, what was punishable. Um, and so it, it's just a kind of a product of what the current situation we're living in. That's, that's being, that being said, that there's a lot of people that are also being punished by completely inane jokes on Twitter or something like this as well. There's a whole panoply of people that have stepped outside of the, the speech norms in various different ways. Um, and that's, that's exactly who the free speech union are there to defend, that if you, if you do say something that is, by the large part, completely innocuous um, and people have taken issue to that to the extent that you receive repercussions, um, that's, that's exactly where we're, we're there to step in and it's not necessarily that we're prioritising one thing or the other. It's just that at the moment the people that um, need us the most seem to be the people that hold gender-critical views or, or more or less just haven't kept up with the, the, um, the current norms around how you're supposed to address people that look ostensibly male but call themselves female, you know. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I guess the left, the old left used to be a lot about free speech and now that's kind of flipped to the right. So I guess people see the free speech union or I guess maybe these people on Reddit see the free speech union as, as a right wing, a right wing organization. But, but you're, you're, the organization is a hundred percent nonpartisan. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. We, we will defend anyone with, you know, more or less, uh, keeping within the norms that I just said that we wouldn't defend, say, incitements to violence, but basically anyone with any kind of view um, is, is worthy of free speech in our view, basically, that we're, we're just completely nonpartisan and, to be frank, somewhat non-political as well. A lot of these things that people are getting pulled up for are not necessarily political statements, but just making a, a slightly blue joke here or there or something like this. I know. I mean, hashtag Woody didn't do it. You know? <laughs> so there you go. But I think uh, we have, I think there's an interesting, uh, interesting flip going on right now. So it seems that one thing about free speech is that everyone seems to like the idea until it's someone they don't like doing the speaking. Yeah. And we've got a fine test case right now across the West. So you, you mentioned that, the, you know, the trans or gender issue seems to be where the action is. But I tell you what, October 7th, we've, we've got a whole new, whole new bag yeah. Uh, going on right now. So, you know, very divisive topic, uh, 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 Israel-Palestine situation. So I'd like to get, you know, your your uh, the FSU stance on some of the cases we've seen, you know. I mean, um, like what are the limits here on on, 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 uh, on free speech? Who can, who's allowed to say what and when? 
you know, for like, just take that example of uh, pro-Palestinian people. Not that I've ever seen, I'm terminally online at the moment, so I've never seen anyone tearing down a poster, but, you know, what do we think about tearing down posters or confronting people who are doing it? Or what do we think about, you know, calling out from our, a, a car to someone else, uh, you know, something about, uh, you know, them being one or the other? What, what do we I think about that those? There's multiple different things happening there. Um, I have been asked on other podcasts about, Particularly this uh, footage on the, the the you know the steps of the Sydney oh, Opera House. We're going to get to that. Okay. That seems like that seems that seems like the the big bad. You know what I mean? Like and 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 and, and, and in a classroom setting, that's the um, you know the, the 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 example that everyone would go to. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that because I think that that'll be an interesting sort of thing. But what about all of the every all the everything leading up to that? Well, I, actually, I was going to make, I was bringing it up because I was going to draw a comparison between, say, for instance, the yelling at someone when you're driving past them. I actually that that I would say is more or less a crime at this point. Like if you, the, there was those those kids that had the Israeli flag on their car, and a guy came up and, and yelled at them. That is a, a legitimate threat, I would say. If you're yelling at some, if you're shaking your fist and yelling at someone in their car, that's a legitimate threat. Um, which for which he actually got um, well charged for it now in on bail conditions, so that's that is something that is very different. I think that where there's a, like a legitimate confrontation between people and there's a lot of yelling and shaking of fists and so on. That's uh, that's um, crossing crossing a, a Rubicon between speech and and, and action. Um, the the tearing of down of posters. Uh, I would say that's a legitimate form of free speech or, or postering them. I mean that I. When you walk around the city of Sydney at the moment, there's a whole lot of posters on a whole lot of um, on, on all the poles and the whole poster walls. Or well, the poster war is happening in Sydney as well, um, and I think that's a legitimate form of free speech that you're allowed to post to something and rip it down and replace it with the poster and so on and so forth. So I am would protect that as free speech. Um, do you want to go go to the the just just, just before we leave posters? Don't councils have like rules and regulations about putting posters up on 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 poles and stuff like that. Like yeah, well, if if it's against the council's rules, then by all means they can they can do whatever you know they they can they can um, they can enforce those rules. But for the most part, presuming that there's no other law, in which case if there's if there's if there's a law, then it's it's. It doesn't matter who's putting the poster up, but if there's if there's some sort of like public billboard where people are postering, um, for instance, like down down the street from me, there's a coffee shop which has whiteboard with the with a marker that you can write a message on, and there's people writing like free Palestine and all that jazz up up there as well. Um, so I think that I mean that is a very clear example where someone has invited the public to post to something or write something and people have taken that taken that on to write their messages but for the most yeah as i said like this these are basically an invitation to post something i think you know it's a free speech issue it's it's, it's not a, 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 a not against free speech to to have the post walls i would say I, I just had one more uh, silly example. There, there is, I know of a cafe in, I think it's in Brunswick here in Melbourne, where there's there's a sign. There's a sign that says, no Herald Sun allowed. So <laughs> am I allowed to bring my Herald Sun newspaper on a Sunday morning and read it in that cafe? 
That's a, that's a very good question. I would say that it being the only occupier, they can have their own rules, but it is an interesting issue. I would say. I would I would more say that is a an issue where you would say it's a, a matter of cultural freedom of speech rather than a legal freedom of speech. Because of course they're you know they're occupier, they're allowed to have their rules and regulations, but at the same time I think you're within your rights to say, hey, that is discriminating against my political beliefs or mm, it's tempting though isn't it it's a very it's a very seductive sort of thing because i, I mean I, I wish i could ban new yorker tote bags <laughs> <laughs> you know whenever i see them i just go oh for goodness sake. I, I think i might dust off my trump beanie that you got me from trump tower i might <laughs> i might tower. go down there one sunday and just you like, didn't say no trump beanies ah yes <laughs> well I think we'll go big. So in case someone's been living under a rock, we're talking about, um, was it pretty much the day after, uh, was it October 8th that this thing happened? Yeah, uh, something on, on, like that. I thought it was even like the day of. But... It was, it was, uh, it, there was a impromptu uh, protest in the CBD of uh, what I'm to gather uh, were pro-Palestinian uh, uh, people and there was a gathering, famous footage of gathering uh, of people on the, can I say it was pretty much men? It looked like only men. It looked like yeah. 100% men. I don't know why I say people. It looked 100% a bunch of men. I can't I mean, remember they could one identify, tip. but I somehow doubt it. I think they have. I don't, yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> it, just, it was a bunch of, you know, we'll say people on the steps and uh, they, they shouted, um, uh, might as well say it, uh, I believe one of the, the, the chant that's gone around the world was gas the Jews. So what, what do we think, Dara? What, what's going on here? I was corrected the other day because I'm writing a piece at the moment and there has been some alternative footage as well of that event. They're still yelling, fuck the Jews, so not good, but apparently okay. there is some quibble about whether that the suggested subtitles were correct or not. But even still, fuck the Jews is pretty bad. Um, I, I would say that that is still defensible under free speech because... Um, it's still not incitement. It would be different if they would be yelling that in front of a synagogue, for instance, where there's a clear legitimate threat to carry or possibility of carrying um, the threat out. So I, there, there's a, that, that's a nuance. Of course, it's, it's far more uh, likely to be classed as, as um, incitement, but given the circumstances of, of people yelling it on the steps of the opera house during a protest, um, where there was, you know, they weren't yelling in front of a synagogue or some other place where they could carry out that. Um, I, it's still as reprehensible as it is. This is this is what it is. It's difficult being a free speech advocate because you have to defend some of the most reprehensible people saying the most reprehensible things. But it still it still would not fall under um, legitimate free speech jurisprudence. So, and what do we think of um, the? Because it seems that that the right is now calling for uh, at least elements of the right of, uh, 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 are calling for cancellations of people of you know again the, some of them are probably American examples but I, I could easily see them happening here of, of um, let's say student groups or whatever on campus uh, who are pro-Palestinian or it could be any any I, sort of I, I think Ron DeSantis actually banned some Palestinian group from from a Florida university I think. There you go. So, so we're in this interesting. What's the equilibrium we need to get to here? Because you know the the impulse uh, is really. I got to say, like you know, when when 
when the tide turned, when the, you know, when to see the left eating the left was, is very enjoyable on one level. Um, however, um, it just feels like we're a little bit, you know, to, to flip and to really go harder on these cancellations is maybe not, not the correct thing to do. What, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's the correct thing to do. I also think it's because it, it, it limits our ability to argue the case as well. So I have noticed this as well, that there's a lot of people that were previous, well, that were free speech advocates until now, basically, that have now switched positions in little ways, like even people like Douglas Murray, who have been, camp, you know, calling for the deportation of a lot of the people that attended um, pro-Palestine rallies uh, and just generally Palestinian supporters. So something that I've been thinking of recently is it is the distinction between the liberals called small small l classical liberals and the conservatives and the conservatives um there's a lot of books that have been written recently that place free speech as a a, a western value amongst many so at least in recent interview um douglas murray makes this case very plainly saying if we do not clamp down on free speech and prevent um, these people saying anti-Semitic things. We don't have a country anymore. It's better that we have a country than uh, um, protect free speech, uh, you know, over and above the ability to, to hold a country together. And I'm very sympathetic with that view, except that the reason why we campaign for free speech is not just because, um, because it's some nice fuzzy principle, but because it's actually extremely powerful. And I think Deporting people that hold hold the you know the, the contrary view is not necessarily the best way to win the argument. In the same way that I don't think calling everyone a bigot is the best way to win the argument. So I complain also tactically that I don't think it's a good idea to shut down debate because if you don't you know debate at all, then you're not going to win the debate. The problem is is that I and I can really understand this from a lot of people's perspective. As you saw the last few years of people getting targeted for the, the, the smallest infraction, the smallest speech infraction, they, and they get targeted. For instance, I, I was looking at, I was remembering, you know, Zoe Bueller who got arrested in her kitchen. She was pregnant. She got arrested. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, her charge was incitement. That was her charge. Um, I have a lot of quibbles about how, why that would not stick, and it didn't stick, obviously. But you think about something like that of, like, organizing an anti-lockdown protest and getting in charge with incitement and then you see the the protest on the steps of the opera house and that what do they get charged with nothing they don't get charged with incitement mm. um even though that as i said it's not strictly speaking incitement either but there's much more of a case why that should be worthy of an incitement charge compared to zoe's case so you can see this very asymmetrical way that today you deal with these sorts of situations so i can understand that it's broken people's brains and go oh well now the now the shoe is on the other foot and we have the ability to beat um beat people that we disagree with or you know stop stop them having having their free speech rights um and so i think a lot of people have taken that course which i'm a bit uh worried about to be honest but on the other hand you can see also the quote-unquote liberals um, emerge obviously someone which I work closely with is Toby Young who on one hand has defended the, the right of people to protest but on the other hand have 
um, organized this statement in solidarity with the Br British Jewish population and counter protests and so on. So that's, that's a, an example of someone who on one hand has condemned the, the content but also protected it at the same time. And likewise, um, uh, Barry Weiss and the free speech and no, the free press, um, they've spent a whole lot of money, like they've put so much money into reporting on the ground in Israel and really bringing stories of the people that were that were targeted and subject to the most horrific violence possible, really bringing them to the world's attention. Like there's not, there's no one in the press that has put quite so much effort into bringing those stories to life. But then I looked at the free speech, the free press website recently. That they also had articles um, defending the pro-Palestine position and protests as well. So that's something that is really interesting to see that these people that are very pro-Israel and have taken very pro-Israel stances, but when they um, conduct themselves. They've also uh, been classically Voltaire in their ability to condemn, condemn the you know the content, but also protect the ability for people to speak at the same time. This feels like we we are in a prison, uh, you know, when we give in to these the, the the demons. You know what I mean? Like when when you make it tribalism, when you make it about winning the argument or. I don't know, like vanquishing your enemies or however you want to put it. Um, uh, it just, to me, as I say, it just feels very, very uh, constrained. But but then doing the uh, the work of being um, being straight and 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 listening to both sides and and fostering debate and you know not give you know and, and not cancelling anyone and letting everyone say their piece is exhausting on so many levels because it's 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 a minute by minute fight with everyone and you've got audience capture so you've got whoever your audience is like whatever platform you've got is they're going to expect a certain amount of thing and i've seen this even on glenn glenn greenwald's you know um show he's a total dissident and um he's getting heat david pakman got heat and like these are these are guys of the left you know so i mean I don't know, Dara, like, like how, how, what can we do to, to, to sell the idea that, um, uh, you know, being tempered and, and cooling out and listening is better and, and being fair to both sides is better than, you know, um, the alternative. Well, I, I wouldn't even say it's being tempered or fair. You can be very robust and even, uh, liberous in your, your criticism. Like I'm, I'm I have no, love lost between myself and the people that were chanting on the steps of the Opera House or and, um, even even lesser statements. I think, you know, Israel, um, you know, may, or whilst not perfect, it definitely doesn't have quite the same, you know, the population of people that are clearly so anti-Semitic that they would, would uh, or would harbour such hatred that they would enjoy the kind of uh, violence that was meted out. So I think... I, I, you can, you can be completely robust in your criticism, but at the same time defend the right of people to robustly defend their position. That's not necessarily being fair. That's being, I would say, enabling the rules that allow for your robust criticism in the first place. You know, the, the, the criticism, of, uh, you know, those, those protesters, they were, I guess, directing their outrage at the in, entire population of of Jews, I guess, worldwide in a way, like yelling out gas the Jews, whereas they could have focused their attention on, on Israel, the state, you know, the government of Israel. I mean, are we are we making a distinction there in terms of incitement to violence between, you know, a, a race of people and, and a government? I mean, 
would it be more acceptable if they were saying, you know, fuck Israel? Yes, definitely that would be more acceptable to say, fuck Israel. But as I said, it's not, the circumstances don't necessarily make it incitement. As I said, if you change the circumstances slightly and they're yelling in the steps of the synagogue or something, then it's definitely incitement. But but, but, but if, present- if, if you could show that that, that directly, you know, resulted in some unhinged person going out and committing some sort of a crime, you know, against against a Jewish person or against a synagogue or something. I mean, that that, that would be a clear, you know, a clear correlation there. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it would be very difficult to prove that that particular incident resulted in a particular action. I mean, you'd have it'd have to be a very particular incident for it to to lead to that. Um, so, I, yes, presuming that you could directly t- tie that particular protest to a particular act of violence, then yes, it would be incitement. Um, it, it, it's hard. I guess it's like the Marilyn Manson kind of uh, debate where, where, you know, conservatives would often link, you know, some sort of unhinged behaviour to a teen listening to Marilyn Manson, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's been a number of cases like that. You know, the congressional baseball shooting where the guy was a Bernie Sanders fan, mm. um, and you know, no one blamed Bernie Sanders for that. But then you have all these high school shooting shootings where one of the people that they listened to was Jordan B. Peterson, and alas, it must be Jordan B. Peterson. Um, so he couldn't you stand to, to clean his room. They've got clean rooms, yeah. They've got <laughs> clean rooms. Lobster. <laughs> For breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I get it. Yeah. So, well, Matt, uh, yeah. sorry, sorry, Dara, you, you can. I was just going to say that you know this is why incitement is such a tricky thing. It really has to be a very direct correlation between you know words and actions. Um, so th- those sorts of fuzzy because I listened to X and then I was I was mm. prompted to go shoot up a school or something mm. like this. or Because, because John I, watches Woody Allen films, mm. you know. It's going to marry his uh, stepdaughter or something. <laughs> <laughs> Slander. Slander. <laughs> well, perhaps let's leave that particular chapter of, of the discussion to one side. I, I wanted to, to talk about some of the core values of Free Speech Union, which you have published uh, on your website, uh, which are the promotion of free speech as the most fundamental of rights, the protection of free speech from opposing cultural trends and increasing legal impingements, uh, nonpartisan and non-political, uh, and to defend the free speech rights of others, even the most unpopular or disagreeable opinions. And the last one, which really caught my eye, which I'd, I'd like to talk about, is reclaim larrikinism. Now, to, I, I felt for a long time that the Australian larrikin has, as you know, has disappeared from from public life, and it, it really hit home uh, for me when I read Fred Paul's biography of the cartoonist yeah. Bill Leake, and, and also when uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival uh, recently turned their back on on Barry Humphreys, which I think was a couple of years ago, because of his uh, outspoken views on 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 trans trans issues. You know, Australian culture used to have a healthy mix of boisterousness and, I guess, disregard for convention, which which I don't I don't see that much much these days. Do you have any theory as to why the Aussie larrikin has has disappeared? I think it's much the same as all the other 
countries where we're, we're suffering from the same cultural trends as America, although America is far more serious than we are. But still, the, the same cultural trends of, of um, particularly, I guess, this, uh, this idea that everyone has to be cushioned, they have to be protected, you can't have um, people offended, that words hurt, these sorts of these sorts of cultural narratives that we've imported, particularly in the younger generation, I think it's really kind of put a nail in the coffin of um, of Larkinism. But I think there are lots of people that have been lamenting the death of it for a long time. It's just that I think now we're seeing really what, um, particularly this kind of coddled generation, um, thinks of these particular types of behaviour. One of the reasons why we put that value there was firstly to give it an Australian flavour. So the UK organisation is fantastic. We love them. But we also wanted to make sure that we're launching a free speech union of Australia. So therefore, we were thinking about what is it, what, what core parts of free speech are unique to the Australian culture. And that's why we, we picked up Larrikinism. The other, the other thing is that usually there's a really like a technical argument as to why free speech needs to be defended. It's either lofty principles or because it enables a debate to occur or it enables us to share ideas. Like these are really lofty ideas. But um, I think for Australians, one of the main reasons for free speech is because it's fun. We like it. We like to um, have a little bit of a, a jest at someone's expense, particularly if they're in a particular you know, position of authority. We do, we like to not have to walk on eggshells and just to say, um, say bluntly, particular, you know, what we feel and particularly if it's a funny thing to, to, to say. So part of, part of adding that was particularly because it is fun. It is what brings a lot of the, the culture to life in Australia, the ability to speak frankly and with a little, you know, to be able to also take a joke as well. Mm. No, we're talking about this uh, recently. I think the case I put to uh, Richard Hanania, uh, R- Ricky, I, I said, you know, should you know you bend down to get something at work, <laughs> and I pull out my slide whistle and I go, and I give it a good go. You know, <laughs> why can't why why does that have to be a big big deal? I don't understand. I, I'd love it if you got you got a slide whistle out. prepared though like if you come to work with a slide whistle you really yeah. you really kind of like plan that situation yeah. to happen <laughs> like, a, like a prop comic you know yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. no it is a it is a, it's a difficult thing to 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 define isn't it the larrikinism but i think you've done, done a pretty good job there it's um yeah it, i guess that the other side they just say oh you know it was the bad old days and it was just yeah you misogyny. know re, re, you know just uh, a, a safe haven for for racism and yeah misogyny and sexism and the rest of it and um you know so you can take your jokes thank you very much well i'm mm. I'm, I'm glad uh i don't fall into that category i, I really like offensive humor to be honest I'm, some of my favorite comedians are people like jimmy carr or you know people that really tell very very blue black you know black yes. humor i would say yeah, well, it must be hard to be be an up and coming comedian these days, which which we've talked about before. It's like, how do you test out your material? You know, if you, yeah, if you just get get, I don't know, lynched by a mob before you even start. 
Well, yes. I mean, that, that, that's that's part of the the art of of and the craft, I guess, of being a comedian is that you you refine your material sort of as you perform it, uh, and without that process, you you don't get you know you don't get amazing comedians. Yeah, it was, there's there's a few places in Australia that really, although they don't publicise it, but are really trying to focus in on the um, you know. Comedy Unleashed from the UK where they really did try and create this club where you could say, you know, whatever the hell you wanted. Mm. And there's a few a few venues in Australia, not venues, but people that are really trying to create comedy nights where you can, where up-and-coming comedians can be, you know, let loose and know that the audience is... The, the, the problem is, though, that everybody nowadays has a recording device on them, yeah. you know, 24-7, so they can capture... Anything and your and out you on Twitter, thing. yeah, your Kramer moment. And I was actually this is a big example and a, and a big artist. But when I went to see Dave Chappelle at Rod Laver Arena, they actually had a system in place where you had to lock away your phone in this special lockable pouch that you could only access if you went out to the foyer and put it on this massive round magnet-looking thing to open it back up. So I mean, that's that's an extreme uh, way to 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 you know get rid of that risk but but smaller comedians and smaller venues i'm sure won't have the resources to do that sort of thing you know yeah i guess there's something that you just have to risk i mean there's always been risks to be an artist this is probably one of the more it's some in terms of cancel culture is one of the more risky times but at the same time your cost of creating something has been lowered so dramatically with youtube etc so you know, who, who knows? It could maybe the things will balance each other out. Yeah, yeah. I guess you, you're not gunning. You you might might not necessarily be gunning for that. I don't know, mm-hmm. ABC sitcom yeah. or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think your your hopes hopes and dreams are dashed if that's the case. But if you're happy <laughs> with. <laughs> well, the ABC used to have great comedy. I mean, I grew up watching oh, yeah. Blackadder and and all the British sitcoms yeah. on the ABC. You know, I mean, that's and, well, and even Doug it, Anthony Allstars. Like that was they, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. or the Chaser. Yes, or, you yeah. Know, yeah. Had, like what happened to the Chaser? They've they've gone completely the shovel now. They've gone completely um, milk toast. But they used yeah. to be so good. They used to, maybe maybe I have changed an in intervening period. No, they've become. It's that great line. It's uh, you know you either die here or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, the Dark Knight. You know, and they've become establishment villains. Um, you know, you, you've got to uh, peddle a certain line over at the ABC. That's for sure. Mm. But this is a good uh, swerve into culture because uh, if you wouldn't mind taking your FSU cap off for a moment, we'd like to ask you about a piece. You wrote in your Substack. Uh, it's called "Eyeballs Versus Eardrums," and in it, you give us a rundown of some music that you've been exploring of late. Um, and you also freely acknowledge that the post will not get the same traffic as your more sardonic pieces about politics or, or, or culture war topics. And this is something we've we've experienced on 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 our show as well. And here's a great quote. I'll read it out. What is the point of fighting the culture wars if there's no culture that you actually want to see pre- preserved or created? There are some culture warriors that I wonder what they will do with their life if they win. Will they too end up with St. George and retirement syndrome in the same way as the Wokelings that insist that the battle for enforced pronoun use is fighting against oppression in the same way as those at Stonewall or the first march down Oxford Street? Great, great quote there. So, you know, would you mind elaborating on this? This is a problem that vexes us. Yeah, this is something that I, I, I was thinking of. I was prompted by some pieces that some people had sent me. And and on top of that, I really, 
my, my music is my art form. You, I, I know you're a film film nerd. I'm I'm I love music. I used to play it. I don't anymore. But um, so that that was more or less a desire to write about something that I actually enjoy. Um, but I know it's never going to get that many views because it's not divisive. Everyone loves music. Everyone loves you know. Um, and that that's the thing is that the divisive piece, divisive things really trigger that kind of. Um, the the inbuilt team mechanism, which I think people are looking for as well. So um, people will read something that they agree with that is also something that only their team would agree with, and so they share it. And then the team that is, you know, the other team sees this and then they they uh, latch onto it and say, look at how stupid those people are. Um, they think X, Y, Z. And then they hate share it. And then the people that agree with the piece see the people hate sharing it and say, and they share it back saying, look at these stupid people that disagree with our opinion, which is so righteous. And then they share it. They hate share the hate share. And so it creates this really like the snowball effect because it's like triggering the, you know, the very primal emotions of wanting to be in a team and then, you know, really agreeing with something that is pro your team and then or really um, disagreeing with something that is against your team. So these sorts of pieces that are a little bit more divisive, a little bit more spicy tend to get picked up and shared in a way that something that is just generally nice and people don't necessarily disagree with, just don't. Well, you used to have battles between certain... uh certain styles of music or people who liked certain styles of music. So, you know, you'd have the seventies punk punk rock guys that hated the goths and vice versa and Or in high fidelity, like like, you know, the arguing about albums and stuff, you know? Like Yeah, well that that that, that doesn't exist anymore, which I wish oh. you know, I wish people I wish still we were got arguing hot under the about, that. about music. That's you know? way better to talk about. Like <laughs> like like if, if someone's like, I think, you know, you know, use your illusion one is better than uh Papetite for destruction. We can have a great argument about that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, someone's like, I prefer new Metallica. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. You know, that's better than this, all this, this sharing libs of TikTok stuff, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I don't know how to solve this problem, Dara. And, you know, I don't know if you do either, but I feel like the culture wars and the social media are totally killing me. I know you're, you, it doesn't say, you, you've, you've, we talked about this last time. You I think you did, you detox a bit from, from social media here and there, but, but, um, doesn't sound like that's going to be a, a thing now that you're uh, in the Free Speech Union. But um, I feel like I'm being attacked from all fronts because the content is too sticky, like you just said, like we're sharing it and it's, it's, it's content, right? It's yeah. not, you know, created like the, the way that um, Good, the Bad and the Ugly is created. You know what I mean? It's just content. Yeah. Um, the technology is too convenient. So you've got your laptop, you've got your iPad, which I think you're talking on right now, which is probably going to go to bed with you um, or, or near enough. Uh, and, and uh, you know, at least at the, you know, on bad nights it does with me. Um, I feel like it, this has boiled me like a frog, all of this this, this prism of, of stuff. I consume, you know, content, but I want to consume more art and curated things. You, you mentioned all that music. Uh, I should be listening to that, you know, rather than, than going and checking out all this other crap. So, you know, I find myself watching these short clips on YouTube, um, you know, reaction videos. I think I hate – there's so many – I hate your reactions, okay? I don't care what you thought of something. You know what I mean? Like, like who cares? And, and 
it's a blah blah ending explained go to hell it don't explain anything to me i don't if you don't uh, you don't know you don't know you're not the filmmaker you don't know anything about anything so I, I mean why am i watching this stuff you know so what can we do dara that's a lot of stuff to throw at you yeah that, that is a lot of stuff i i don't know about your life particularly but um give it a go <laughs> give it a go um i guess maybe just like you know like when you when you go on a diet Occasionally you have to, you know, you, you do this thing where you swap out, you know, something that is not nutritious for something that is more nutritious at least, or at least attempting to do that. So maybe with your media diet, instead of sitting and watching, you know, uh, you know, Bites, Ben Shapiro or Michael Knowles react to some cut video yes. or something, whatever it is, Definitely then I'd watch that. <laughs> you should, it, they're, they're very entertaining, I have to say. I, I can I can um, I can get 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 why people like the reaction videos, um, but instead of watching something like that, maybe you put on a podcast or um, an audio book. That's actually what I do at night. I put on an audio audio book. Part of part of it is just because I got sick of a lot of the content. So at some point, I'm like, well, I, I kind of just want to listen to music now. It's it's, it's kind of it was just, it was a little bit like. A, too much like i i filled the filled the tank too full so now i want to have a little it's bit like that last scene in seinfeld when he said they he's, he's looking at the button and they've gone full circle you know like you you've exhausted everything you've seen all the reactions and all the ben shapiro fast talking and you just end up going back to music yeah. back to the good mm. stuff back to music yeah one, one of the problems i find with with music in in the streaming era is that you've just there's just so much content out there. You you have access to literally or almost literally the entire entire planetly of human of 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 yes. recorded music. I mean, I know yeah. there are there are rare stuff. There's rare stuff out there that that hasn't made it to Spotify. But but by and large, most things in any style and genre that's that's been good uh, in human history is there at your fingertips. So quite often, uh, you, you don't know what to listen to or you know, nothing's curated for you, so you're just swimming in this soup of 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 history, of of music history around you all the time. I mean, I find that 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 quite a problem. Um, yeah. If, you know, for all the failings of of the music industry, and it's, and it's got legendary skullduggery, you know, in the in the old music industry. But one thing they did do was they curated stuff, and in terms of releasing material, sort of got released at a slower pace. You know, you could sort of keep up and. Also, I think it, it it gave each generation their own music and their own sound, which which I'm not I'm not convinced that the current generation no. of teens is going to have their own music that they're going to look back on and and say that that you know that was my As, my yeah. era because you know. you know there's that quote that we read in Linehan's book, which was yes. attributed to someone else, but uh, which is that music is now. A scented it, it, candle. It, yes, it now has the uh, the utility of a of a scented candle. Yeah. Oof. 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 Yes. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. It's meaningless to people. They just are like. It, it's just everywhere, though. You know, it, it's everywhere. It's on your phone. It's in the car. It's on the TV. It's when you walk into a shop. It's just everywhere. Music. It's, it's and everywhere. It's, no, it means nothing. Like, there's no reading of liner notes. There's no investing in it. Like, there's no mystery. You know, like. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I think it comes back to one of the things you were saying before that it uh, used to have debates about music because it was tribal, because, you know, you did identify with your era of music. 
And I think that's something that is also, if you come from a particular time and place where there was a particular era of music, there is something nostalgic about even the crappiest pop or this sort of thing that you, you can listen to and go, oh, Beast I remember. 17. <laughs> I want to get that though. hat, that beanie, that big beanie he had. Remember that big beanie? Yes, yeah, it was oh, very tall. Was in that? Weird. Anyway, it's probably his head. He was a cone head. That's all I had. <laughs> all I had to say about that. But, but the other, the other good thing about having music of your generation is that you would, you know, you would meet people that also loved a particular band that you were into at the time, and you would share things. You, you know, you'd share because CDs were expensive. You know, thirty bucks. Back back in the day, if your routine was, you know, a fair chunk of 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 your pocket money to to spend, and and you'd have to really think about what you were going to buy, and you know, sometimes take a risk on on an album, think you know, not knowing quite what it was going to be like, and you might fall in love with it, you might not, you know, you'd, you'd find, uh, you know, friends through through the, the 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 different kind of music you'd listen to. I just feel like that 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 doesn't exist anymore. You've just got algorithms that are just suggesting things for you now. Yeah. You know? And also the the mixtape that if you wanted a new music suggestion, you go to a friend that is uh well my I, I was still in CD you know compact disc format, but you yeah you would create a create a a, a piece for them or get someone to make something for you, and I, I discovered a lot of music that way as well. Whereas now some of these Spotify lists, you get a spot, you get someone's Spotify list, you go I want like. I don't know, whatever, Rolling Stones or whatever. And you, and you get someone's ultimate, like, Ro- Rolling Stones list or whatever. And then it's just like, there's all the hits in there. But then but then there'll just be, like, four in a row from the same album. And you just go, come on, this is mm. a stupid list. You haven't thought about this. This isn't, like, this doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I have to say that the AI, they've clearly AI'd Spotify. So the suggestions have become increasingly good, I think. Or at least... Um, Recently, when I said I want something that is like this, and they actually supplied a whole lot of new music that was, you know, very much in the taste that I wanted. Um, the other thing which I do is I, I still listen to music podcasts and and consume music journalism, which I think is uh, one of the few things that you actually would go to the Guardian or the ABC for because it is mm. still actually good. Um, music journalism still exists. Apparently, and mainly really? only with lefty publications, but um, the Guardian music podcast is actually pretty good. They usually bring some musician on and they tell you why five of these tracks. This usually has some theme to it as why Do these they five 100% tracks. stay away from politics, 100%, like because they, they can't talk about anything. Uh, the ones that I have listened to, they pretty much stay away from politics and stay it's on weird because art, we've talked about this before with artists are like, you know, as we spoke with Jessica Crispin, she said, and I totally agree with this, art is a, used to be the place where people who aren't good at life go yeah. to do their thing. They're not good people, okay? They're bad people. They do, they do terrible things. They do infidelity. I, mean, I just re- read this John Lennon, like, sort of bio, and, I mean, he said, he said he used to, you know, beat up women, sort of in a sexual context as well. So, I mean, you know, I mean, that's None just, of these people are people that you would take as moral uh, guides, oh. basically, but they created, but their unusualness is what made them good artists. So if you strip them of, well, not necessarily that we should put up with the worst of the worst behaviour, but if you strip some of the unusualness, you might not end up with the same mm. products as well. Mm. But yeah, that, that, 
That's even fun, artists, but... even artists like Lizzo, who you think is, you know, mm. just woke as woke as anything, as you know, I mean, she's she's in some controversy because she forced, uh, didn't she force her backup dancers to go to sex shows or something when they're in Amsterdam? And I think and, she, yeah, yeah she got uh, that one as well, but also just body shaming them as well, apparently, yes. which is yeah. interesting for someone who. Weirdly, I have more respect for her now. Because she's one of those fuck-ups who ended up being an artist, you know. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I think we should circle back. Uh, we want to give you the final word, uh, uh, Dara. Uh, so, you know, anything we haven't spoken about with about the F FSU, I'm sure people are thinking again, how do I sign up? What are the rates? What do I do? Well, you can sign up on freespeechunion.au. There will be a code which you can apply, New Flesh. That will give you a discount on our membership, which starts at $49. If you have some sort of income, which you can uh, legitimately claim it as a union, you're joining your union, then obviously your uh, your membership fees can be tax, tax deductible, depending on that specifically that specification that you do have, um, and you know you do, you do have a legitimate reason to join the union as a kind of a income protection. Um, yeah, that's, so that's the main thing. But please join. We need all the members we can get in Australia. The more members we have, the bigger it grows, the more we can do to fight free speech on the personal front and protect people's freedom that way, but also um, to really intervene on the big cultural moments as well. And if people have got pro things going down in their workplace right now or in their, you know, in their life... Can they drop your line and just 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 you know get a query? Can they just say, look? You yeah, know, you can contact us through the website. We might not help you if you're not a paying member, but if you have a like a legitimate issue that we would look at and say on public interest grounds we have to um, intervene on this, then we will we will do something about it. Excellent. Well, we do have a, a final question that we ask all of our guests, and we'd like to know what you're reading right now. I I preempted this question two seconds ago and was like, well, do I have my getting, book near me? They're getting smart. Um, these, they're, they're, these guests are yeah. learning. Uh, I'm, I'm reading Sneaky Little Revelations by Charmaine Clift, who mm. is actually, well, as edited by Nadia Wheatley, which is like the, the most lefty of lefties can get. It's a collection of essays from a Sydney Morning Herald slash Melbourne Ar Argus, you know, the former, the predecessor of, uh, of the age. Um, she was a columnist during the 60s. Uh, her, her and her husband lived on the Greek... She was born in Australia in Kayama. Her and her husband moved to the Greek islands and then travelled back on the migrant ships that were bringing you know, migrants back from the Second World War to Australia after being away for 15 years and is writing her perspective on how things have changed between the Australia of the 40s that she left to the 60s that she's returning to and she's been claimed as a little bit like of a, a left-wing icon, but she, you know, is more like a kind of a tr traditional lefty, shall we say. Um, she's very anti-censorship and has particular, you know, interesting opinions that you wouldn't read today. Like she was complaining that, you know, feminists want all these rights, but they're not willing to take on these responsibilities, these sorts of things. But she considers herself a feminist, but she's... Red-pilled. You know, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't read that today. So it's it's a very interesting little perspective on 
Australia in the 60s, I would say. It's just a little, like, it's like a little postcard from a particular time and place of Australia and all the different views that are percolating and some, what someone which is considered radically left-wing thinks about things. What was the title again? Uh, Sneaky Little Revelations. Fantastic. Great recommendation. Yeah. Well, I've already read, on your last recommendation, we talked. you talked about uh, The White Pill. I read that. Uh, Very good. Michael Malice and, yeah, Rock My World. Yeah, very yeah, good. It's really good. So, you know, maybe I'll read this one too. Yeah, I would actually recommend it. It's a it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective, particularly if you're an Australian to see how things have changed. Excellent. Well, if people want to follow you, Dara, they can do it. Uh, I, I, you're on social media. Yep, I'm on Twitter at at Dara Haley, um, and all the other various places. So you can read my pieces in Spectator, Quillette various other publications so um, i'm here there and everywhere and and subscribe to your Substack as well yes and so subscribe to my Substack, but most importantly join the free speech union indeed fantastic thanks dara thank you Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.